Welcome to Fusion Church's Sermon of the Week. Fusion Church is located in Wakanda, Illinois. We exist to complete and multiply people who passionately follow Christ. For more information, visit www.fusionchurch.com. Let's dive into this week's sermon. Morning, everybody. Hope everybody's having a good week. I hope you enjoyed uh, the relief we got from some of these really, really cold temperatures we've been experiencing over the last couple of weeks. I know it was nice to step outside and not be instantly freezing this week, so I hope you're enjoying that. We've been in this series on loving God, and Chael has talked the last two weeks about loving God with all of your heart, loving God with all of your soul. This morning, I want to talk about loving God with all of your mind. And I'm going to try and make it very simple. Rather than talk about how do we best understand the mind and its interaction with the body and our behavior and all the different theories, which if you've studied any philosophy or psychology uh, or the mind-body problem, these type of discussions have been going on and will be going on sort of endlessly, but that we would just make it really practical and kind of simple. So we could say, I know I use my mind for this. I know I use my mind to acquire knowledge or to use logic and reasoning. How can I best love God in the way in which that I do that? But the ultimate goal here is that we, our minds and we ourselves would be transformed more into Jesus' likeness, that, that his thoughts would be our thoughts, so that we're not constantly in this sort of duality between well, I think this, is, is this what I should or ought, ought to do? What do you think, God? So that just, it just becomes a natural part of who we are. And our call as Christians, remember, is to represent Jesus well in everything we do. But we're not going to be able to do that if we don't have his thoughts. So just think for a moment to say, if you want to be more like someone, and this is in anything, maybe it's in a certain sport or music, or any kind of discipline, or any pursuit, if you want to be more like someone who is further along than you are on some level, you're going to have to start thinking more like that person. Because right action comes from right thoughts. And it's interesting, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, God says to the people of Israel, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. It's interesting, though, that he says thoughts first, because... Right action follows right thought. I want to give a quick sort of caveat or disclaimer, though, before getting into everything. I want to be really clear that we understand this is not about becoming more intelligent. This sermon or teaching, if you walk away from this thinking, I just need to get smarter, that is not my heart in this, and I don't believe that is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, okay, to love God with all your mind means Everybody's just got to raise their IQ 10 points. That is not the call. Now, there may be some things we need to learn, and there may be some things we, we need to unlearn, or some patterns of thinking that need to go, and some other things to be planted in our minds so that we can be more in his likeness. But it's not just a call for sort of high, higher intellectualism or that kind of thing. And, and listen, the way I understand the mind is it's just anything that goes on in our headspace that then informs our behavior. That, that's the simplest definition that I can come up with. I did grab, a, you guys know I'm big on definitions, a pretty simple definition from biblical commentary. So in terms of the New Testament context, what does, what does the word actually mean when it, when it says the mind? 
And this definition says it's just the part of the human being in which thoughts take place and perception and decisions to do good, evil, and the like come into expression. As I was talking with Chael about this and preparing, he said, the way I often think about the mind though is it's sometimes the gateway to the heart and to the soul. And I like that because if you think about it, if you focus your mind on something, pretty soon it has an impact on your emotions. You focus your mind on God's goodness, you focus your mind on his faithfulness, on his love, on his mercy, pretty soon your heart is encouraged, your soul is uplifted. And we often see this in worship. And some of us have come into worship before going, you know, I just don't feel a certain way or I'm feeling this or that. You know, my heart is, my soul is downcast, as the psalmist would say. And then we focus our minds on who God is, on the revelation in his word, on things he's done for us. And we remember all these things. And pretty soon, our hearts and our souls then are uplifted. So think of the mind also as this, just this simple gateway into our heart. Because when we, when we store up certain things in our mind about the Lord, we don't want them to just stay there. Even if that leads us to proper action, we want our hearts and our souls to be moved as well. So the three areas I want to look at, my goal is that we would be able to say, okay, I know I use my mind for this. What does it look like to love God more in the way I use my mind in that area, in this area, over here? The three I want to use, if you're a note taker, that's fine. I'm going to try and keep it really simple though. I'm going to look at reasoning, the way we reason, the way we acquire and store knowledge, and then just our general thought life, thoughts of all different kinds. Some of those are inter interconnected, of course. I'm not saying they're not, and I don't want to get too geeked out on the, on the differences or how they interlap. It's just these are common ways in which we use our mind. So let's look at reasoning first. Most of us know what it is to use reasoning, but we don't usually use language to describe it. Well, my reasoning in this is such, but we hear things like, well, that person has a good head on their shoulders, or they really like to think things through. And conversely, we... We often hear, uh, you know, when someone makes a bad decision uh, or faulty reasoning, boy, I didn't really think that one through. My favorite is when you hear somebody say, yeah, that seemed like a good idea at the time. You've never heard someone say that after having really thought something through and coming to a good decision. Well, I just want to, to put out there first that there are lots of ways in which we can love God in the way we reason. For starters, our very faith ought to be grounded in good, solid reasoning itself. And I would argue that there are countless number of wise men and women throughout church history who have reasoned their way into the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Surprised by Joy, actually called himself the most reluctant convert. And this was because, if you don't know his story, he was an atheist. But it was through his reasoning and looking at the evidences for God versus against, that he literally reasoned himself into a relationship with a God he didn't even think existed. This is possible. By the way, when we, when we come into the kingdom of God, we don't just check our brains at the door, guys. We want our faith to be rooted in good, solid reasoning. 1 Peter 3 says that everyone should be prepared to give a defense for the hope and a reason for the hope that they have. So again, we don't just say, well, it's, it's all faith and, and no reason. There's a, there's a beautiful blending of the two, but just as, even as a practical example, 
uh, there's, a, there's a guy I've been sort of witnessing to for years. He's an atheist, and I, I know him through some work things, and he regularly kind of chides me on different things. But there was one point where I kind of I had enough, and he said, well, you know, there's, there's really no evidence uh, for God whatsoever. And you hear these kind of statements. Anybody ever heard anyone say, well, there's really no evidence to believe in God? And I just kind of said, well, that's just not true at all. And he said, well, well, what evidence is there? And I said, well, if you'd like me to give you some, I can. And he said, well, sure. And I just said, okay, well, I think God is the best explanation for why anything exists at all in the world of the universe rather than nothing. I think God is the best explanation for why science tells us that the universe is finely tuned for intelligent life, not just on our planet, but anywhere in the cosmos. I think that God is the best explanation for the existence of objective human uh, moral values and duties in the world. And I think that God is the best explanation for the historical evidence concerning Jesus of Nazareth and the rise of early Christianity. Oh, and I think God can also be personally known and experienced. And there was almost this like pause in the conversation. It was like, okay, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to think about a couple of those. The idea here is though, we have good, sufficient reasons for the hope and the faith that we have, as I was saying before in 1 Peter 3. Some of us haven't thought through it in that level, and that's okay. But just so that you know, guys, our, our faith isn't in vain. It is rooted in solid, in solid, good, sound thinking and reasoning. Ironically, though, I had another friend who was kind of in and around those same conversations who said, you know, I agree with you that I'm fully convinced that there's a God. I'm just not sure about the whole Jesus thing. Is it really Jesus? Was he really the Messiah? And so I just sent him a number of, again, good forms of reasoning, historical arguments for who Jesus was and why certainly there is good evidence to support uh, faith in Christ. And then the next time I wound up talking to him, I just said, hey, did you ever get to any of that stuff? He's like, oh yeah, I'm totally in. Definitely Jesus all the way. Like I'm a believer now. Uh, almost just sort of as an aside. So again, we want to honor God in the way in which we reason. Now, that's sort of on that higher level in terms of how we come to faith or how, how do we sort of support our worldview and those types of things. And that's all really good. But I want to look more even in the practical. Most of us don't use our reasoning you know, regularly in terms of area of philosophy or apologetics. We actually use it just to make kind of everyday life decisions. And some of you, if you're like me, do you ever have a teacher that told you, well, the best way to do uh, logical reasoning is to weigh the pros and the cons, where you just sort of, okay, I can do this or I can do that, and then you, you just sort of chot down the, the pros on the left-hand side, look at the cons on the right hand, and you kind of count them up, and whichever one has more, you make those decisions. I, I think all that's great, and, and whether we realize it or not, we often still do this. However, the way in which we do it that's appropriate as Christians is that we would invite God to be center stage in those type of discussions. Seek him in your actual logical thinking. Ask him, God, am I thinking about this right? Is there something I might be missing as I'm thinking through whether or not I should go this way or go that way? And there's actually a situation right now, my wife and I won't get into the specifics. We, we, can, we can kind of make a, a decision to go one way or the other. Uh, with something we, we need to decide. And we've just, we've made the commitment though, you know what? There, the pros and cons are, are both. We don't want to make a decision until we really feel like God has, has led us or point us one way or the other. And 
I know that that may seem, if that's new to you or, or seems, well, how am I supposed to know? Just even the practice of asking him, God, I want to partner with you and how I'm thinking about this. Because the reality is sometimes he can see a two, two, three, four, ten steps down the road. So if you invite him into that, I just think you'll much more often be led uh, in the way that is best in terms of your situation. And I want to be clear though too, that reasoning does not trump revelation. So yes, God wants us to use our minds well to make good decisions. We want to be the people that, that others say, you know what, that guy, that gal, that just always seemed to be making good, sound, solid decisions with their finances, with their kids, uh, with their jobs. But if God says to do something, it's almost like our reasoning should be, ultimately, we think through things well and logically, but we're going to go, but his word gets the final say. And not just necessarily his written word, but his prompting. Because if you're going to journey with God long enough, at some point, he will challenge you to say, I want you to go this way, even though all the reasoning and the evidence says to go that way. You see this in scripture. Abram, you're thriving in this land, but I want you to pick up everything you have and move to a land that I'm not even going to show you yet. I'll kind of show you on the way. That's part of the faith journey. So yes, we want to reason well, but then we ultimately, we invite God in and then we give him the authority to hold the trump card over everything. So let's look at knowledge next. Most of us, probably in its most basic, would say we definitely understand that we use our minds to acquire and hopefully to store knowledge. That isn't the question. The question is what kind of knowledge are you going to acquire and are you going to store? Guys, the mind is a sponge, but we control what it absorbs. So let's look at the life of Jesus. What type of knowledge was it clear that Jesus had spent his life absorbing and filling his mind with? Most scholars agree Jesus had the entire Torah and the Old Testament committed to memory by the age of 12. I'm going to say that again. By the age of 12, have you seen how long uh, the Old Testament is? And you see this when Jesus visits the temple at age 12. It says that the teachers of the law were amazed by his questions and answers. And it was common in the rabbinical system that it wasn't sort of our Western way of you ask a, a question, you sort of regurgitate a fact. No, no, no. They would ask a question, you would respond to the question with a deeper question, sort of deepening the discussion and the dialogue about the text and about the word as you go, which is often why when Jesus is questioned by the Pharisees, he asks them, he returns the question with a question, trying to reveal that you're not understanding God's heart in this area, in the word. Jesus lived a life committed to being a sponge to everything that his father was and to acquiring a knowledge of the word. In Luke 2.52, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in favor with God and man. If Jesus was doing that, I ought to be doing it as well. So it's, it's kind of simple in this area, guys. I would just challenge you, not on an intellectual level, but on as a follower of Jesus to say, I want to be someone who is regularly focused on acquiring the knowledge 
of who God is. And the word, guys, is really where we got to look. The word is where we have to go. David said, Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart that I wouldn't sin against you. I've hidden it in my heart. Well, but it had to go through his mind to get to his heart. Remember before where I talked about that, that gateway. So if we will pursue the word, I think what you, you will find is that there, are, there is just layers and depths and knowledge of who God is that will literally transform who you are. Jesus says in Matthew 12 and in Luke 6, I've quoted this before, the good man brings good out of the good stored up in him. You have to see your mind as a storehouse where we can store the truth and the revelation about who God is. And I could tell lots of stories about this in my own life because sometimes what happens is, you know, we read the scriptures on an intellectual level and it, it doesn't go much deeper. And I would argue too, that's okay if that's where you start. But slow down a little bit and then just see what, what does God show you? What does he highlight? And this is where memorization is also really helpful. Sometimes we memorize certain things and they seem to come out at the most opportune times. A number of years ago, I actually had to go to the emergency room because I lost the ability to speak clearly for a couple of minutes, as crazy as that may sound. Uh, I've been an acute migraine sufferer for years. Some of you guys know that. Well, there's a, a, a rare, but sometimes for some migraine sufferers, side effect or symptom where you can lose the ability to sort of speak clearly for a short period of time. Well, of course, I had panicked a little bit thinking maybe there's something seriously wrong with my brain. Went to the emergency room and as I was there, my blood pressure really spiked and I, I had what I think was a panic attack. I'd never, never having one of those and my heart started racing. And immediately out loud in that hospital room, I just started speaking the 23rd Psalm into the room. The Lord's my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And by the time I got to the end, it was like there wasn't any panic anymore. Now, I had just been taught and knew that when you're scared, and I was scared, you just go to the 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. What happens when we commit our minds to acquiring the knowledge of God's word is that we wind up anchored in certain promises that are there in his word. There was a season when I was in college where I lost a good friend and I read Psalm 25 every morning and every night. Turn to me and be gracious to me, God. I'm lonely and I'm afflicted. And I read it again and I read it again and I read it again. You know, as I'm sharing this, there, there are so many promises for each one of us, but if you don't commit your mind to learning them, they won't be there when you really need them the most. I think of that song we sing around here, uh, open up with that chorus at the end, He's faithful. Faithful in all He does. That came right out of Psalm 33, guys. I was reading that regularly. The word of the Lord is right and true. He's faithful in all he does. I read it so many times, a melody just kind of popped out of it. Psalm 62, same kind of thing. Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him. For God is our refuge. For God is our refuge. That we would be people of the word 
because our minds are focused on storing up those good things. And I just promise you, listen, if you'll commit yourself wherever you're at, maybe you're somebody who, who reads the word every single day. Man, that's awesome. Keep doing it. Don't give up doing it. Continue to sharpen yourself and your knowledge. I, I've been told by people, oh, I feel like you know the Bible really well. I don't feel that way. It's just, there's, there's so many layers and depths. So maybe you feel like you're in the deep end of the pool. Guess what? God can take you deeper. Maybe you're somebody who's just getting in. That's fine. Wherever you're at, just encourage you to keep going and to keep that desire for continued knowledge of the Word of God. The last area I want to talk about, though, is our thoughts. So we talked about reason a little bit, inviting God in to say when you're making you know, those logical decisions, specifically ones that may impact your life and, and your steps, that you would say, God, I am giving you front and center stage in knowledge that we would be people who are committed to knowing and storing the knowledge of God, specifically in his word, so that it's ready to be there when it's needed or to be given away. And lastly, just think of your thought life in general, guys. Loving God with our minds is often a battle over our thoughts. I want to read from Philippians 4. This is uh, toward the end of Paul's letter, and I just think he lays it out perfectly in terms of this is like the target of what the Christian thought life should look like. He says in, in 4 verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is what we should be thinking about. Now, if you've been a believer or a follower of Jesus for more than an hour, you'll know that sometimes we are tempted to think about all kinds of things that are not on that list. They're either our own thoughts, they're thoughts from the world, they're thoughts of the enemy, other people's thoughts. So what do we do? Well, the good news is Paul also says, 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 5, that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God when we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Yes, there are things we ought to be thinking about. However, they're going to be opposed by things that we shouldn't be thinking about. And we need to wage war in our own minds and take things captive and make them obedient to Christ. Guys, the best way to do this is to invite the Holy Spirit in. This is where Christian community is incredibly helpful. Having other voices speak in to say, hey, I don't think your thoughts in that area are really pure. I don't think they're noble. They're not right. Good counsel is also really helpful. But inviting the Holy Spirit in to say, okay, God, what are your thoughts in this area? How do my thoughts need to change? And how can I take this specific thought captive? If you have a lustful thought saying, Holy Spirit, come in, help me make it pure. Or help me just kick it out altogether. If you have a jealous thought, Holy Spirit, help me. God, give me your thoughts about this situation so that my thoughts are now admirable and not jealous. Guys, this is where the war is often waged. It is in our minds. And to love God with your mind sometimes means to roll up your sleeves and say, okay, I know I'm not thinking like God in this area and I need help. 
Holy Spirit, I need your help and you need counsel from others. As I was preparing this, I was just going to share uh, a story of one of my own areas of struggle in this. But I, I really felt the Holy Spirit just kind of highlighting that I think this is a struggle for, for somebody watching. So if that's you and you're identifying with it, I just want you to put out a hand, but it's in this area of negative self-talk, self-deprecating thoughts, almost like self-cutting in the mind. And see, I used to regularly think that if I thought negative of myself in some areas, it was almost like a form of positive motivation. I know saying that out loud, just it seems so foolish now in hindsight. But just the idea, you know, if I'm feeling tired or I'm feeling weak, just telling myself, oh, don't be a wimp, don't be, don't be lazy, uh, you know, don't be a wuss, like those kinds of things. Or I'd, I'd make a mistake in something. I'd just say out loud, like, oh, I'm an idiot. And I would say those things every now and again, and my wife would hear them, and she would say, honey, that's not true. Don't say that over yourself. Don't speak that over yourself. And like any good husband, when your wife says those things, you just start, you stop saying them, but you don't often stop thinking them. And so there was one time though where I, I was just in a little bit of, of one of those moments where I just kind of felt the Holy Spirit saying like, this is not the Father's thoughts. So what I want to suggest, if you are battling and struggling with that, and, and I, I kind of saw a picture of somebody just constantly feeling like I cannot measure up in this area or I don't feel adequate to this task, or I am, I am a failure, that I, I felt like the Lord was saying, that is not the Father's thoughts. And if you're reg regularly dealing with that kind of negative self-talk, just put your hand out right now. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, just come in and show this people, persons, your actual heart, your actual thoughts, and that there would be real uh, hope and change. And if you're, if you're next to him, just put another hand on it. We just double it up in Jesus' name, God. Whatever you want to do, we want to say we want your thoughts and that there'd be breakthrough in that area. And there was another word I just kind of had too, that there's, there's a parent who has really been frustrated with one of their kids, with one of their children. And I don't know if it's necessarily behavioral, obviously with all this uh, school at home thing. <laughs> it could be all sorts of, all manner of issues. But that there was just almost a frustration, uh, felt like it was leading to a breaking point with someone. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit was, was challenging me to challenge you, if this is something you're struggling with, to invite God in and ask Him, what are your thoughts about this child? What do I need to know that I don't currently know that's either going on in their heart so that you can parent them better or better understand how to help them in this situation or in this season. And guys, prophetic ministry often is just listening to what are God's thoughts. So if you've ever had anybody sort of minister to you in prayer prophetically or put a hand on you and you felt like, man, they really just kind of seem to know the heart of God in that area. It's because they're just asking God and listening to what are your thoughts about this person? What are your thoughts about their situation? And then measuring that against 1 Corinthians 14, if it's prophetic ministry specifically, where if they're really God's thoughts, then they're probably encouraging, strengthening, comforting, even if they, albeit maybe a little bit challenging. Last point I want to make is that the mind is God's primary tool in transforming a human life. 
before you get ahead of me, we come into the kingdom of God through the free gift of Christ, sacrifice on the cross. I'm not saying God uses the mind for salvation. We come into the kingdom through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, but the primary means in which we are changed and transformed is through the mind. How do I know this? Romans 12, 2. Don't conform to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love how Chad Norris puts it. He says, if you change your thoughts, God can change your life. That's part of my story. That God has just taken me on a journey to say, we need to change, we need to change your thoughts in this area, Mark. Your thoughts aren't my thoughts in this area. And the word repent, guys, actually means, in Greek, the word is metanoia. It means to change the way you think. But that word then is pregnant with action, meaning it's not just a mental commitment to change the way you think. It implies that it also changes your behavior. A couple of months ago, it was almost, it was almost a year ago now, I think, a friend of mine asked me to host something at my house for him, and he invited a bunch of different people. And I was a little nervous about it because I knew some of the people coming were a little rough on the edges, different things like that. And so I laid out some ground rules um, about what I hope to see in terms of responsible behavior. And there was one guy in particular who just really, quite frankly, acted like a jerk, ignored everything I kind of said, and, and was kind of um, just flat out rude. Um, to one of my friends who was there and it was just kind of a whole thing and it really bothered me and it was, but I couldn't let it go. I was just kind of hanging on it for the next couple of days to the point where I realized like this is really starting to poison my own like heart and soul. And I went through the logic of all the reasons why it was fine to be bitter about this guy or maybe I should have just thrown him out or told him off but I knew, well, that's not the Christian thing to do. So then I'm just sitting here stewing about it and I finally just asked God, like, something has to give here. Because I'm not going to walk in this kind of bitterness anymore. And I know I need to change the way I think. So I just asked God, like, what am I missing? Like, how else should I be thinking about this situation? Because I'm not going to excuse the behavior, but yet I don't like the attitude in my heart, which is coming from my thoughts. And I just felt like the Lord showed me some things about this guy in particular. That he doesn't like when he acts that way. And he doesn't really want to act that way at all. And that there's some things going on in his life and he's been hurt really bad. And it was all of a sudden like I just had a complete change of heart, but it was because I saw God, God's thoughts first and his thoughts kind of became my thoughts. And then I just had this sense of, you know, if I completely rebuff this guy, because that was going to be my attitude. Well, I don't want anything to do with him. I'm not going to talk to him anymore, even when I see him. And I just had this thought like, if, if you treat him that way, what hope would there ever be for him? to really see the kingdom rather than continue to be kind because he knows the way he acted was probably not right. So I was convicted and just kind of repented and said, all right, I'm going to change the way I think. And then I'm, I'm not going to completely ignore him and avoid him next time I see him. Last little story, I was telling a story to my daughters the other night and one of them asked me, Dad, have you ever seen anyone get into a fight before and I said oh yeah you know I, I went to public school and I saw a number of those type of things I, I started telling a story about the first time I saw two guys really get into a fight it was actually the first time I saw somebody really intentionally hurt somebody else physically 
in our locker room. And as I was telling the story, I realized I was defending the guy who had assaulted the other guy because the entire team stood up for the one guy, even the coaches, and everybody said, well, this guy deserved it, and he had it coming. And while that was true, that was not God's thoughts about that guy. And I remember my daughter just said, well, Dad, maybe he just needed a friend. And it dawned on me that after 25 years, my thoughts were still far from God's thoughts on that situation. Didn't excuse somebody's behavior, didn't make any of it okay, but the idea being that I was still not thinking about the situation the way God would have me think about it. So I just want to invite us, as we're sitting here, kind of getting ready to close, to two things. The first is just to sort of ask, okay, God, where do I need to repent in terms of my area of thinking? Where do I need to change my mind? Maybe it's toward a person, maybe it's toward yourself in terms of the way you're seeing yourself, as I prayed before, or you know, just sort of invited the Holy Spirit in. Maybe it's your current circumstances. And the other thing to make it really simple, if you want to grow in giving God more access to your headspace, here's something really practical I think we can all do, and it's something I try and practice every single day. Give God the first thoughts and give Him the last. The last is sometimes trickier because some of us fall asleep, uh, you know, with all kinds of different things on our mind. But as you're laying in bed, maybe you just start reciting the Lord's Prayer, or you go through the 23rd Psalm, or you just start saying, Jesus, you're awesome. God, you're really good. God, I love you. God, thank you. As you're trying to fall asleep. My wife sometimes hears me doing this. She's like, did you say anything? I was like, no, not really. You know, it was like, I am saying something. I'm just not, I'm not talking to you. Just to say, okay, God, I, I want the last thoughts I have to be about you before my head hits the pillow for the night. And then giving God the first first thoughts when you wake up. God, what's on your mind for today? God, thanks for another day. God, what are we doing together today? Those type of things. Those are real simple habits and practices that I think we can all put into practice regularly that will help us love God more with our minds. I hope this has been helpful, guys. I hope you have a really great week. I just want to pray real quick that you just have an amazing uh, week, that anything that, you, that I've said that lands here with you would start to take root and produce fruit in your life. So let's pray. Uh, Father, I just thank you for our family here at this church. God, I thank you for what you're doing even in this season. And I just pray, Lord, that as I've spoken, Holy Spirit, as you have touched and prodded or poked people, that they would just be obedient unto whatever you're asking them to do. And that we would be people who have more and more of the minds of Christ as we journey together with you. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged by this week's sermon. For more information, visit us at our website, www.fusionchurch.com, or you could find us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week.